Tonight's reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, and that's on page 1210. And we'll read the whole chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at that time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged, it that, begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if, an animal, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. Amen. Come on ahead. No, we have a treat for you tonight. This is my friend, and uh, I'm going to ask her some questions. I wrote some questions down, and then I decided to right-wing it. But that's dangerous, isn't it, when I'm up here? <laughs> so we'll stick to the questions. So who are you? Ah, thank you. <laughs> First of all, let me greet you. Good evening. Yeah, I'm Penina Kaitesi. I'm from Rwanda. I'm working with Tia Fund. I'm the program coordinator of church and the community mobilization, and that's where the Connected Church fits in my program. I'm married to Antoine. Antoine is a pastor in Anglican Church in Chigari, and uh, I'm a mother of uh, many children. <laughs> Uh, my biological children are four, two girls and two, two boys. Uh, my firstborn is now 25 years old, and uh, my lastborn is 18 years old. Uh, I'm a grandma of uh, many young children, <laughs> grandchildren. But I fostered other six children because of genocide I think you have heard about genocide happened in Rwanda. I fostered six children, and the total of children are 10. That's why I'm saying I'm a mother of many children. And uh, the among the 10, six now are married. That's why I'm a grandma of 12 children, grandchildren. Oh, it's a blessing. So uh, I'm a daughter of, of two old parents. My dad is 98 years old, and my mom is 88 years old. Uh, they are still living together in, uh, in their house, and uh, they are also born-again Christians. I think that's all. Thank well, that's, that's, that's the first 12 questions gone. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you're a grandmother. Um, yes. You're far too young looking to be a grandmother. Oh. Oh, yes. Uh, I told you that my firstborn is 25 and she's now married. And uh, yeah, I have, from my biological children, I have one grandchild. She's now three years old. Yeah, there's a response to that. Do you remember I told you my news outside? You're meant to say. Yeah, yeah. we have to say congratulations. He's a grandpa. <laughs> I'm, I'm too, old, too young to be a grandfather. Yes, okay. yes. I should say, as we're, as we're talking here, you'll see a selection of photographs. Um, spinning around. It's going to give you a taste of what we were doing in Rwanda and a taste for next Sunday morning for the Life Builders. So do come along next Sunday morning after church to find out about, about, about what we're doing. So we met you a year ago. Four of us went out and, and I didn't realize at the time how much work you had put in to making our week actually happen. So we decided we'd go back another time and bring twice as many people and give you twice as many work. 
Um, and just to clarify it, folks, Panina puts in so much into preparing for a team coming out to Rwanda. It just doesn't happen. You don't just get on a plane and go and everything happens. And, and you were our crutch. We lent on you the whole time. And I mean that. That's a compliment. So it is. I, trust me, it really is. Um, and it was through you and your wise counsel throughout the week that, that you guided us when we had problems and we had many questions. You were there for us at any time. And, and we, we are indebted to you for that, so we are. We're now partners with Gilgal Church in Qatari Village. I got that right, didn't I? Qatari, yeah. yeah. And you've worked with this church for quite a while, haven't you? Yes, yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell the folks a little bit about the, the folks in Qatari? Thank you. I have, first of all, to thank you very much for sending the team in Rwanda. It was very uh, exciting time to be with them because these people were really very friendly and we really enjoyed to, to be together. And we did many things. Maybe you will listen to them next Sunday, but we had a nice time. Thank you for sending them. And I know <laughs> how much it cost you to send them. Thank you for that. And he said that really I was very busy preparing this. It was not very, very busy. Because no? I worked okay. with, uh, with the Giruga Church and we just set up a program. You are the one who realized the program, not me. Okay, <laughs> thank you for well, coming uh, and yeah. thank you for making our, our trip very good. It was very good. And uh, which question again did you ask me? Because <laughs> <laughs> you talked about I, many things. <laughs> I think, yeah, we're at the winget stage now, so we are. So there are obvi obvious differences. Um, I know for some of the folks who were coming out on this trip, there were lots of questions to, to us who've been before. What's it like? What's the weather like? Um, when we spoke to you and oh. found out you were coming here, you had some questions about Northern Ireland. Huh? So of course. That, that's how it is. <laughs> when you are coming to the country, you have to ask questions about the weather, about how the culture, about different things. That's, they asked me many questions, but I find that that's normal. Because when you are coming to a strange country, you have to ask those questions to be able to get well prepared. Yeah. And uh, I was not really, it was not a problem to me. <laughs> Did we prepare you for the weather? Yeah, uh, <laughs> when I came, I really, I didn't know how to wear. It was also strange to me because now at home, it's 26 degrees, you know. And now here, I don't know how, is it eight or? Oh, if the heating's on, uh, yes. And when I came, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first time I arrived was on uh, Thursday and it was at zero. Down there, oh, I didn't know really how to wear, and uh, I kept asking, but they, they used to tell me, you know, it's very cold in the, in the UK, but very, very, very cold in Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to bring and what not to bring. I brought many things, a big suitcase of, full of clothes, but some I didn't really use them because I didn't know that it's not. No use for them here. Okay. So you, <laughs> That's you're... how it is. When you came in Rwanda, <laughs> sometimes they came with many stuff which they are not using because it's a different weather, it's a different culture. That's how it is. That's, but, that's uh, very true. We coped with it. We did, we did, we did. Admirably, <laughs> even though I say so myself. Yeah. So you're here in the UK and you came to Northern Ireland. What were you doing in the UK and in Northern Ireland, just very briefly? Yeah, thank you. Um, 
I came two weeks and I have been in Teddington for training and for meeting different people we are working with. Because as, as he said, we used to, to chat with many people at Teddington. Teddington have like 300 staff. And we, we are really having many chats on emails, but we don't know each other. So it was a good time to meet with different people. We used to chat. And again, we, we were two. Me and my colleague, now he's in, in uh, Scotland, because he's working with uh, a project uh, funded by Scottish government. What's even colder over there? Godfrey, do you yeah. know him? No. Do you remember him? Yes, <laughs> you, know, you know Godfrey, he's yes. now there. And it's very cold as, as here, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I, came, I came here after that training. It was a hectic time there, because we were working from nine to five. Yeah. Busy, 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 but it's good that here I'm relaxed meeting people in churches and I really feel relaxed than here. Well, that's, that's yeah. good. Yeah. And we heard you were coming to visit um, uh, White House Church here in the Connected Church program as well. They've, they've done three years or something around there. So we grabbed you with both hands and said, you've got to come to Bloomfield. Um, it's great that you're here because now you can see part of our connection. This is now real. Um, our connection with uh, Gilgal Church and import, more importantly with Tear Fund in Rwanda. We cannot do what we're, we believe God is calling us to do with our brothers and sisters there without our brothers and sisters in Tear Fund. So this really is a partnership where there are three uh, different aspects to it. So we'll wind up. You're going home when? I'm going home on Tuesday evening. Tuesday. And is there anything we could pray for for you that you'd like us to pray for as you head home or as you prepare to go home? Oh yes, you first of all have to pray for my journey masses because I'm yeah. traveling a long journey. I'm going to Heathrow, then from Heathrow to Doha in Qatar, then from Qatar to home. Okay. That's a long journey. Please pray for me and for my luggage. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the first thing. The second thing we have to pray is about our connected church relationship and partnership. Uh, we are connecting with uh, now three churches here in the Northern Ireland, Moira, White House, and Bloomfield. Okay. And uh, sometimes uh, because of work and we can be busy and not really know each other very well, but uh, I'm glad that I came and I met with Moira people and I met with White House people and I'm now here, you know me, and chatting will be easy now because we know each other. Uh, but um, what maybe I expect from the Bloomfield Church or other, other connected church, when you are coming, what we want to know first is who is coming in the team and how, what are their skills? Because uh, we are the body of Christ and I, the, I, as the body has many parts, you know, each part has its role. And when you are coming, you come with your gifts. We want to use your gifts if possible. Sometimes when you come as a team, it's not easy to use all gifts which are in the team. Sometimes you comply with what is there. But uh, uh, it's good to know the gifts which are coming yeah. and people, people's expectation. Yeah to be able really to respond to those expectations. It's really good to be here and who, know who you are and know your beautiful country. Mm -hmm. Wow, 
Your country is very beautiful, especially your city. Belfast is very calm, well organized. I like it. Okay. <laughs> when I, I landed there, I, I felt, oh, peace. You know, I felt that peace. Well, that's, uh, that's it's lovely. very good. It's a, it's yeah. a lovely city, uh, well organized, and people are very friendly, and I like that. Okay, well, thank, thank you. you. Well, you mentioned uh, before we let you sit down, you mentioned your luggage that would have got back safely, and you talked about gifts. Mm -hmm. So I have some gifts. You see the football Ruben has between his legs up there? Um, it, it's like, we would call it lots of rubbish wrapped up in a, in a wire. Wow. It looks like a cabbage. And, uh, and you might have seen the picture of the snare drum with the drumsticks. They're two twigs off a tree. Mm -hmm. So we thought, could we give you something to take home that would fit into your luggage and pray that it gets there? So um, we've got you some drumsticks for the drummer. Wow. Okay. Nice. And uh, the man in the shop said to me, you have to have this one because it says Ireland on it. Now, it's not a broken football. Um, it's just I so know. it can pack in. And now you don't have to blow it up your mouth. We got you a pump as well. All right. So just <laughs> a couple you. of small gifts. Would you bring them to the children in the church for us? Oh, thank and you. Uh, something that. so small, but yet this will be used in worship and praise in Gilgal. Mm -hmm. And the kids are football mad. Uh, I reckon it'll not be long before the first window's broken in, in uh, Gilgal yeah, Village. I have and, a small gift oh, thank well. you. Okay. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> and while uh, Panina's uh, bringing something up to us, Brian's going to be praying for uh, Rwanda and for the church after that as well. Oh. Yeah, I have a small gift for the church. Just a small Thank thing from much. Rwanda, which will, it's like a Christmas card, but it's not a card, it's something you will put somewhere, yeah. hanging there. But, uh, this is a gift from Rwanda. Well, thank you so much. I'll pass yeah. it on to Damien. You thank can you so open much. it and show it to the foxes. To no problem. Okay, I'll, I'll get the, one of the guys. Damien, will you open this and pop it up on the table after the service? Thank you, thank you, you Panina. Thank you very much. Bram. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Rwanda. We thank you that you love the people there. And Father, despite their history and the problems they have had, Father, you're building your church there and you're restoring and you're reconciling people to each other and to you, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for Tear Fund's uh, presence in Rwanda, for Panina and Emmanuel, for their heart for the people of Rwanda, and how you've placed in their hearts, Lord, a real love uh, for, for your people and, and for the people generally. And I pray, Lord, you would continue to deepen that love in their hearts. Father, you would give to your film the real vision and a heart, Lord, uh, for those people. Father, they would continue to build relationships with churches. And Father, their influence would be, would be met uh, and felt, Lord, in that city. Father, we pray for Gilgal Church and our connection with it, Lord, for Pastor Benini and the leaders who seek, Lord, to carry out your will in that area. Father, just bless them in the decisions that they make. Again, Lord, give them a vision and a purpose, Lord, uh, to their church. And Father, we bring to you the areas of the church, Lord, which uh, concern them for their youth, Lord, and their Sunday school, for their widows group, 
for the HIV group, for the people who are trying to start small businesses and projects, and their relationship with the community. Lord, Father, in all those things, um, may they have uh, just your wisdom and your knowledge, Lord, and to bring things forward. And finally, finally, Father, we, we pray for our relationship with Rwanda and with Gilgal Church in, in specific. Father, thank you for our trip and, and for the real welcome we find, for the love they have for you, for the way they just love to pray to you, and they just enjoy your company. Father, we can learn so much from just that simplicity in their faith. So I pray, Lord, as we build relationships with Gilgal, Lord, we would learn from each other. We would be able to help each other, Lord, and your purposes will be fulfilled, both here in Bloomfield and in Rwanda. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Well, good evening, and um, thanks to Karen and the group, and to Graham, uh, Panita, and Brian for all that they've done in the service so far and for leading us so helpfully. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we have gotten to in our series looking through the book. And Hebrews chapter 12 was written to encourage Christians to keep going, to show them how to live out their Christian lives, no matter what circumstances they face. And tonight we're going to look at four different parts of this chapter, look at what they say to us, try to understand what God is saying, and you'll probably find it helpful if you take your pew Bible or your own Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and have it open as you go. But before we turn to God's word together, let's just pray. Father, we read in your word that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Father, would you reveal to us more of your son this evening? And as we hear from your word, would you tune our hearts to sing your praise? Amen. And so we just have four points tonight that we'll work through as we look at chapter 12. And the first one, um, as the writer of the Hebrews is seeking to help us live out our Christian faith, is that we must prepare to run I have a huge amount of respect for anyone who has ever run a marathon. I can't see any glasses if Simon's here or not, but if he is, then he's done a five or six by now, which is really impressive. And not only is the ability to run 26 miles in and of itself an incredible feat, but what I really respect about marathon runners is the amount of preparation that they have to put into it. If I were to wake up on the Mayday bank holiday next year and decide that this is the day I'm going to go out and run the marathon, I don't know why some of you are laughing, I would probably end up in the hospital that evening. Running any sort of race, whether it's a marathon or a park run, 
it takes a certain level of preparation and commitment to even just get to the race in the first place. And here in Hebrews 12 tonight, the author is describing the Christian life like a race. Following Jesus is like a race. And he's telling us, first of all, in the first three verses, to prepare for that race, to prepare to run in that race. He begins, if you look at verse 1, with the word therefore. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you always have have to ask what it's referring back to. And so he's referring to chapter 11, which we looked at last week. The great hall of faith, where there's example after example after example of those who have come before us in the race. And so with this context in mind, he moves on to helping us to prepare to run in this race ourselves. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And he's speaking metaphorically, of course. We don't literally have all of these people in Hebrews 11 watching us at all times. Abraham and Moses and Enoch and the rest, they aren't literally sitting surrounding us. But he's using that image of a great crowd of people who have ran where we run, standing, cheering us on to reach the finish line. Again, it's pretty obvious I've never run in a marathon, but I've been to a marathon and I've stood and I've cheered people on. And I imagine that as you're struggling and getting towards the end, the people shouting encouragement can be a great help. And so he's saying, as you seek to follow Jesus, as you seek to take place in this race that is the Christian life, be encouraged by the example and the experiences of those who have come before. Run as if they're there cheering you on and supporting you. And this is really important because it emphasizes the fact that the Christian life is not an individual event, but it's a team sport. It's done within the context of community. And so since you have that encouragement, what does he say next in the second part of verse 1? He says, let us therefore throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And the logical conclusion we can reach from that phrase is that, well, it's sin that holds us back from living our Christian lives. When you go to a marathon, you always see the serious athletes way out in front, and then you see people dressed up like Buzz Lightyear or in a chicken costume. And they're running for charity, and they don't really care about winning the race, because if they did, there's no way they would wear a heavy outfit that would hold them back. Our sins are things that hold us back from living the obedient, holy lives that God calls us to live. Unforgiveness, greed, lust, laziness. These are all things that can distract us from God and from living for him. And so the author says, if you want to run, lay these things behind. Next he says, to run with perseverance, with endurance, the race marked ahead of us. And he's acknowledging that this isn't a sprint. Being a Christian isn't a quick burst of activity and then it's all over, but it's a lifelong race. 
It won't be easy and it will take patience and determination. And if all this sounds incredibly difficult, then look at verse 2 and see what he tells us to do next. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because well, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, which means that he started it and he finished it. He has already won the victory for us. And he did that on the cross. And so when we're told to let go of the sin that so easily entangles, we can do that. Because Jesus died on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sin and do not have to be slaves to it anymore. We can run with endurance because, look at that lovely phrase at the end of verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So we can run with perseverance because we know that Jesus faced this agony and this death on the cross and it was a joy for him to do so because he did it out of love for us. And then look at verse 3. Consider all that Jesus faced. Consider him who endured opposition. And do not lose heart. Do not grow weary. Just to begin with, how are we to run this race that is our lives as Christians? Well, we do so surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Letting go of sin, preparing for endurance. But all motivated by keeping our eyes fixed on him who first won the victory for us. Prepare to run. Second thing we see is that we must be ready for discipline. Imagine two dogs, two puppies like these ones. And they're born into the same litter, but they're adopted by two different families. The first family, they begin to train and discipline their dog straight away. He's not allowed upstairs or on the sofa. They train it to stop, to come when he's called, to sit and to stay. And the other family, they're so excited about getting their dog home, they decide we don't want any rules, we just want to love our dog to bits. So they let the dog decide what it wants to do and where it wants to go. But it doesn't really work. The dog, not knowing any better, makes a mess of the house, runs away when it's outside. The second family, they end up so frustrated with their dog that they decide he's too much trouble for the house. He has to stay in the garage. He misbehaves when you go to the dog park so we can never let him off the lead. The first dog is a part of the family. He can run free around the park all he wants because if they tell him to stop, he does. Now, which dog was more cared for? The one who was disciplined or the one who was given so-called freedom? As well as telling us to prepare to run this race, the writer also tells us to be ready for discipline from God. And that this, despite how it might feel at the time, is actually a good thing. The Christians to whom Hebrews was written they were suffering some level of persecution for their faith. Yet when you look at verse 4, the writer has no time for self-pity. He's essentially saying, you think you have a tough, you haven't shed blood yet. Others have died. 
Then in verses 5 and 6, he takes them to the book of Proverbs to show them that God has always disciplined his people. If you were here this morning as we looked at Exodus 19, think of the Israelites. God gave them clear instructions for their good. Do not touch the mountain, and if anyone does, he must die. And this happens throughout the Bible. Think of the Babylonian exile where God's people had turned from God so much that he allowed them to fall into foreign slavery. And rather than being a bad thing, the writer is saying that discipline, that suffering, can be a good thing. If you look through verses 7 to 10, look at the language he's using. God is treating you as sons. What sons are not disciplined by their father? Our human fathers disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits? He's saying that if we are God's children, that's not only natural, but it's good that God should discipline his children. And then look at verse 11. He's very honest with them. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. And if you remember being a child and being told off or punished, you know that that's very true. But what does he go on to say? Later on, however, it produces a fruit of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's for your own good, so hold on, because God is at work. Look at verses 12 and 13. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. He's telling them to endure, to know that no matter how difficult their circumstances are, no matter what they're going through, God is at work. He's telling them, be ready for discipline from God your Father because he uses it for your good. Our circumstances are different. In Belfast, we do not face persecution for our faith. The point remains that when life is difficult, when suffering does come, we know that God can use that to grow us, to shape us, and to make us more like him. So as we prepare to run this race, be ready for difficult times, be ready for discipline from God. Then we turn to verses 14 to 17. And we see that we must make every effort in holiness. And sometimes in the evangelical church, we can get a little frightened of the word effort. We're very strong in the belief that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not by our effort. And salvation by grace alone is one of our most core doctrines, and rightly so, but... And sometimes we can avoid the word effort altogether. But the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. We cannot earn our salvation. But we can work towards holiness, towards being more Christ-like. Not to earn anything, but just as a response. It's very nearly Christmas and... Maybe it's because I had a sunny Christmas last year in Australia, but I'm in the festive mood already. I've started listening to Christmas music. My Christmas shopping is nearly done. I've started to watch the films. 
And what really lets you know it's Christmas time is that the John Lewis advert comes out. And I don't know how you feel about this year's advert with Buster the Boxer. I like it. I like it's lighthearted. It's not as emotional as it is some years. But my favorite John Lewis ad is the one from 2011. And I think we even showed it in our kids' own service that Christmas. Um, it was with this little boy, and it had the Smith song, Please, Please, Let Me Get What I Want. And you watch the advert and you think, this little boy cannot wait to get his present for Christmas. You see him counting down the days on his advent calendar. He's excited, he's impatient, and you're watching the advert thinking, I can't wait to see what he gets on Christmas Day that he's been waiting for for so long. Then it's Christmas Day. He jumps out of bed, he runs past his presents into his wardrobe, and he grabs out a really messily wrapped box that he had obviously worked really hard on, and he takes it to his mom and dad. Because he was so excited to give them their present. Now he's eight or nine, and this was obviously a big deal to him. He obviously worked really, really hard on that present. Now would anybody say, in working hard in that present, and making the effort, and enjoying giving it to his parents, would anyone be so cynical as to say that what he was doing was trying to earn his parents' love? Of course not. He was doing it just because he loves them. He was doing it as a response to the unconditional love that they had shown to him. And it's the same way with our Christian lives. We make every effort to please God, and that's a good thing, not to earn anything because we can't, but we make every effort as a response to the unconditional love that he has shown to us first. So that's what the author of the Hebrews tells them to do here in verse 14. Make every effort. And the fact that he's telling them to make every effort shows that he knows this isn't going to be easy. Look at what he tells them to do. Make every effort in living in peace with all. I'm sure you all do that easily. Make every effort in being holy. I know how difficult I find it to be, to be holy, to be like Jesus, to live a life that pleases God. It takes every effort. But yet it's so important to the writer here. What warning does he give to them at the end of verse 14 there? Without holiness, no one We'll see the Lord. And so a mark of a Christian for yourself or looking at your own life is someone who wants to make that effort. I'm not saying you're going to be doing that perfectly. No one will do that perfectly. But when we're Christians, we want to make the effort in response to God for all that he has done for us. Look at verse 15. See to it, he says, that no one misses the grace of God. And again, he's emphasizing that this, the Christian life, is a community activity. We aren't to do it as individuals, but we're to hold each other accountable and to help each other live holy lives. He then gives the example of Esau in verses 15 to 17. To plead with us not to seek momentary pleasures over eternal ones. What did Esau do? Esau exchanged his birthright, his inheritance, for a single meal. And when we choose to give in to sin instead of making every effort in holiness, we are choosing quick, 
momentary pleasures over joy in the living God. We settle for lesser desires instead of being satisfied in God. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Prepare to run. Prepare for this race that is the Christian life. Be ready for the difficult times and for the discipline. And as you do that, make every effort in holiness. Not to earn anything, but as your response to a God who first loved you. And then to finish looking at verses 18 to 29, we must finally listen to God's voice. 2016 has been a very strange year. Many people are really looking forward to it being over. One of the themes of 2016 is that it has been a big year for people telling other people, I told you so. The polls, the media, the mainstream politicians all told us that there was no way the Leave campaign could possibly win the referendum. Yet it happened, and Nigel Farage took great delight in saying over and over again, I told you so. Fast forward a few months. The polls, the media, the mainstream politicians, again, they said there was no way that Donald Trump could win the presidential election. And yet it happened. And yet again, many took delight in saying, I told you so. I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of I told you so. Maybe your friends and family are very nice to you. But I have. And it's not nice. And the final thing the writer to the Hebrews tells us in this chapter tonight to do to live out our Christian life is to listen to the voice of God. Because there is nothing more tragic than not listening to God's voice because the I told you so has tragic consequences. And so to make this point, the author takes his readers to where we were this morning in our service to Exodus 19. And he makes a series of comparisons between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. We'll begin with Mount Sinai and we'll do it quickly because most of you were here this morning. But look at verses 18 to 21 in particular. What does the writer tell us about Mount Sinai? Well, he tells us that it was a physical mountain. That... This was for the giving of the law. This is the covenant that was being established of Moses. He tells us that it was a terrifying experience. He tells us that even Moses, the leader, was terrified. Emphasizing the transcendent holiness of God, it was characterized by fire, by darkness, by gloom, and by storm. Then he tells us, that the people, even the animals, were not to touch it. 
And then look at verses 22 to 24 and see how Mount Zion is described in contrast. He's not talking here about a physical mountain beside them, but he's talking about the promised new creation, new city, new heaven, and new earth. Whereas Mount Sinai was for the giving of the law, here he's talking about the giving of the new covenant, of how we as human beings can never keep the law, and so Jesus came to rescue us from those demands by taking our place on the cross that we may be forgiven. He talks not of a terrifying experience, but of a glorious one with thousands of angels. It's for the church of the firstborn, those whose names are written in heaven. And whereas you couldn't touch Mount Sinai because of God's holiness, here, what does he say? You can come to God. You can come to Jesus. You can come right into God's presence. There's a radical difference. Then we come to the response. How did the Israelites respond then? Well, look at verse 25. They refused to listen. They wouldn't listen to God's voice, and so they faced judgment. And so the question for us, when we look at what God says to us, the promise of a new creation, the new covenant that gives us a relationship with God, a glorious future and eternity, the ability to come into God's presence through our mediator, Jesus Christ. What is our response? Way back when we first started this series, we heard those words that we prayed from Hebrews 1, that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. God has spoken to us through his Son. He has brought the new covenant to us where we can be reconciled through God, through all that Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And the author to the Hebrews is pleading with them and also with us not to ignore his voice like the Israelites did, but to listen to his voice and to be saved. And our response then to all that Christ has done for us, we'll look at verse 28. A life of gratitude and worship that is acceptable to him. Listen to God's voice. Hebrews chapter 12 is written a long time ago to encourage Christians to keep going in their Christian life. To live out their Christian lives no matter what circumstances they face. And we do this by preparing for that race that is the Christian life. Surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, letting go of sin, running with perseverance, eyes fixed firmly on Jesus. We do this by being ready for discipline, knowing that life will be difficult, but knowing that God, like any father, disciplines us for our good. 
We do this by making every effort in holiness, not to earn God's favor, but as a response to it. And we do this by listening to his voice, by seeing all that he has done for us in Christ and responding with gratitude and with worship. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who reveals himself to us and that you revealed yourself to us most fully and finally in the Lord Jesus Christ, your son. Father, we pray that as we hear what you have to say to us this evening through your word, that you would enable us by your spirit to hear your voice. And to respond with gratitude and with worship. Father, help us to let go of those things that so easily hold us back. To let go of our sin and our worldly desires. And instead to fix our eyes on you. You who gave everything for us. Father, when we face difficulties in life, help us to know that Jesus faced all sorts of temptations and difficulties for us and that you use whatever circumstances we are in to shape us and to grow us. And Father, help us to make every effort to live for you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We love Jesus. We pray that you would help all of our lives be about our eyes being fixed on him and worshiping him in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so as we go out this week to live out our Christian lives together, let's encourage one each other by saying the words of the grace. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.